Um, but every year is an opportunity to hope for God to do something new in our midst, both personally but also corporately. And I know we're already a month into this new year. It's gone quick, hasn't it? Uh, but in a sense, we are still at the very start line. And today, in a sense, as a church, we're launching um, kind of a theme that will set the tone and set the direction or set the sails for the whole year. And I trust that it's going to be a great year where God actually works and moves deeply in our lives. And at the end of the year, we'll be able to look back and see how far we've come and how much we've grown. Our mission as a church is to be a loving church that knows and shares the life-changing message of Jesus. What's the purpose of having a mission or a mission statement? Well, a mission statement basically explains why we exist. And so if someone on the outside were to kind of have a look at, well, what is Erina Community Baptist Church on about? Our mission statement explains very succinctly why we're here. We're here to be an expression of God's love as a community of people, and we're here to learn more about the person we follow and have dedicated our lives to and to share him with others, Jesus. Because we believe that Jesus changes lives, that the message that Jesus has is life changing. That is why we have a mission and that is why we have, um, that's why we exist as a church community. We also have a vision and our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples. And we have six vision scenarios or pictures, you'll now see them on boards out in the foyer, which each describe in detail what it looks like to be a Christ-centered disciple. And it was great yesterday to spend some time with the leadership team and one of our annual practices or disciplines is to give considered time and thought to these six areas to pray into them, but also to consider how we will help the church grow and move closer towards realizing each of those various vision scenarios, all um, striving to become uh, Christ-centered disciples. Now, the whole vision point, the point of having a vision is a vision kind of explains where we're going. So a mission is why we exist, but a vision actually says, the whole point of having a vision statement says, we're not finished yet. We have a way to go. And the vision is kind of a sense of where we're headed and what the future holds. I find myself in term four in an interesting space every year. Uh, In one sense, there's the excitement and the anticipation and the planning for Christmas, but there's also the beginning of starting to dream and think about what the new year will hold. And so I find that in term four, it's a little bit like a, a clean sheet of paper lies before you as you start to pray and you start to think and you start to plan what the new year might hold. And when I start to envision the new year and think about what that year might hold, I very much have the mission and the vision of the church kind of in my hands and in my heart and in my mind around how could we as a church, what what impact as, as the pastor and as the leadership, what could we bring to the church that will actually move us a little bit closer to being a loving church that knows and shares Jesus and to being a church who is growing Christ-centered disciples? 
When I'm thinking about the new year, I'm, one of the things, the big things I'm thinking about is what am I going to teach on? What am I going to preach on? What are going to be the themes or the books in the Bible that we will look at that will help us as God's people grow? You may or may not have realized that I generally follow a pattern each year, and this is kind of how the pattern goes. In term one, we normally start with something from the Gospels, something very Jesus-focused. Last year, we did Jesus the Game Changer. Uh, the year before that, we looked at several I Am statements of Jesus in John's Gospel. We've done Kingdom Living and so forth. Uh, in term two, we then often focus in on a kind of a mission or an evangelism theme. And that fits in nicely with, with May Mission Month and we've done various things. We did a book by Mike Frost one year looking at the five habits of highly effective or missional people. And then in term three, I've had the practice of looking at Old Testament books. We've done Genesis, we've studied different characters, whether it be Daniel or Elijah or last year, David. And then in term four, we've finished with something that's kind of thematic or practical. Last year we did stewardship. Um, Previous years we've done various relationships, both relationships in a marriage, um, relationships, but also relationships with one another we did a series. So that for me is a a practice uh, that I kind of developed at college, that conviction, this is the the plan that I would follow uh, and I find it very helpful. But this year I had a sense that it would be good to do something different. I always find term one to be highly energizing. When we look at the stories of Jesus, when we spend time in the Gospels, I find that you as the congregation, the people of God, are very responsive. And obviously in term one, we're leading up to Easter and we we celebrate that time together and then we move into a different theme or a different series. And so for me, I started to think, what would it look like if we could actually spend more time with Jesus? Like what if we were to replicate term one kind of over and over and over again. And so I started to develop this conviction that what would it look like for us um, to spend an entire year with Jesus? If we're to be a church that knows more and shares more and grows in Christ, well, wouldn't it make sense to spend more time uh, with Jesus and really getting to know the person of Jesus and understanding the stories of Jesus and in fact becoming more like Jesus. So I thought, yes, this is what we'll do. We'll spend a year with Jesus. Well, then how are we going to do that? What might that look like? Should we take one particular gospel and spend a whole year just deeply examining and getting to know uh, that gospel? And we won't do that this year, but that is something that I very seriously considered doing, and perhaps one year we will do. But while we were in Canberra, I had a lot of time to think during my early morning runs, and it was a great opportunity to really think about, well, how are we going to spend a year with Jesus? What might that look like? And I came up with these four M's. It began with the miracles, because I thought we need to start with the miracles of Jesus, because in term one, we celebrate the resurrection, which is, of course, the greatest miracle of Jesus. But one of the key components of Jesus' life was his miracles. Uh, So in term one this year, we're going to talk about and learn about the miracles of Jesus. We'll start this series next Sunday with the wedding at Cana where Jesus turns the water into wine. It's his first miracle and we'll conclude on Easter Sunday with Jesus' greatest miracle, his resurrection. So in term one, we're going to study the miracles of Jesus. Then in term two, we're going to examine and explore the message of Jesus. What did Jesus teach? What did Jesus have to say? What was 
his message to people who listen to him. And so during this term, we'll examine different bodies of teaching of Jesus. We'll spend some time looking at the Sermon of the Mount, which is primarily concerned with the kingdom of God. And that is the thing Jesus spoke of most of all was the kingdom of God. We'll spend time looking at the parables of Jesus, many of which refer to what the kingdom of God looks like. We'll also during this time um, consider the great commandment to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and the great commission, which will tie in beautifully when we're focusing in on May, on God's call for us to be a missional people. So in term two, we'll consider the message of Jesus. In term three, we're going to spend some time considering the manhood of Jesus. And what I mean by this is Jesus' humanity. Jesus is God, but he came to earth as a man. And we want to spend some time considering how did Jesus live his life as a human? How did he, in particular, how, as a human, as a man, how did he, what was his relationships like? We're going to examine the relationships that Jesus had with women and children. We're going to examine the relationship that Jesus had with the crowds, with the Pharisees, with his disciples. Most importantly, we'll spend some time considering how did Jesus relate to God, his heavenly Father, as a human, as a man. So that'll be term three, the manhood of Jesus. We'll also take some time to consider some of those more tender moments where we see uh, Jesus crying or those moments where we see Jesus expressing anger and how do we learn from what it means to do that in a godly and a good way. That'll be term three. And then finally, we'll conclude our year by considering the majesty of Jesus. And by this, I mean the divinity, the deity of Jesus, that yes, Jesus was man, but Jesus was also God and he claimed to be God. So we'll look at some of those claims. We'll look at the fact that Jesus had mastery over, over illness and sickness and creation and even death itself. But the amazing thing about the majesty of Jesus, especially as we look at this in term four, as we get closer to Christmas time, is that the majesty of God comes to us in the most unexpected way in this vulnerable baby boy. But this boy who grows to become a man is the Lord of all creation. And ultimately, Jesus is not just a great miracle worker. Jesus is not just a great teacher. Yes, Jesus was a man, but Jesus was God in the flesh. And he calls all people to submit to him, to follow him in repentance and faith as Lord of all. And so term four will be a call to the Lordship of Christ. I hope and pray that at the end of this year, you will not only know Jesus more and not only know more about Jesus, but your life will be changed because of Jesus. What is the, the heart motive or the goal and purpose behind spending a year with Jesus? Firstly, as I just mentioned then, I want us as a church to genuinely know Jesus, to know Jesus more if this is who we say we are. Wouldn't it be great if we knew the stories of Jesus so well, we were so well versed in the stories and the life of Jesus that we could retell those stories as if we were there, as if those stories in the gospel happened and we got to witness the miracles, the message of Jesus. I want us to know more about Jesus. I want to encourage us as a church to spend 
lots of time marinating ourselves and becoming familiar with the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus. I have a personal goal this year to read a lot of books about Jesus. There are certainly no shortage of books written about the person of Jesus. And certainly when I read one that really stands out, I'm going to highlight it to you and share it with you. Maybe write a report for the Weekly View or a blog or just say, hey, this is a great book I'd really encourage you to read. Uh, Maybe throughout the course of the year, our growth groups may in fact study a book on the person of Jesus. But again, as we mentioned last week, when we mature and become adults, we don't expect mum and dad to feed us. We take responsibility and feed ourselves. And so this year, there's a real opportunity, and I'm challenging each one of us to get on board the train of getting to know more about Jesus. And so you might also have a personal goal to read some books about Jesus. Uh, But not only do I want you to know more about Jesus, more importantly, I want us to know Jesus more. You know, we can grow in our relationships with one another. We can cruise and coast, or we can actually learn to get to know one another. And when Bron and I still go on dates, we can learn more about one another when we ask good questions and we're intentional. And the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. There's always more that we can learn about him. There's always ways that we can grow in more intimate relationship with him. Ideally, the more we know about Jesus, the more we will know Jesus. And the more we know Jesus, again, ideally, if we're submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit, the more we will become like Jesus. So the first goal or heart intention of this series is that we would learn to know Jesus. We read in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, these beautiful words about the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. What the Apostle Paul says to us here is that in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. So the more we get to know Jesus, the more we get to know God. Jesus said to Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So we look to Jesus. We examine the life and the ways and the teaching of Jesus. And we are in fact looking to God. We are in fact learning the ways and the heart and the message of God. I want us to not only learn about Jesus and learn more of Jesus, but I want us to do this so that we might grow in our capacity to share Jesus. You know, it's really important that we consider what our mission is not. Our mission is not simply to know more about Jesus for ourselves. 
and continue to increase our own knowledge and understanding and only ever share that with one another. Our mission is not to be a people who are just learning more and more about Jesus. Our mission is not to be a people who are only sharing Jesus with people who already know Jesus. Our mission is not to share the life-changing message of the church. Our, mess, our mission is to share the life-changing message of Jesus. My heart and desire is that we would become so absorbed in the person of Christ and the difference that he makes in our lives that we can't but help share that wonderful good news with others. I have a personal conviction that when it comes to talking about matters of faith, it often begins and orientates around the church. What did you do on the weekend? I went to church. Uh, You're a pastor. Tell me about your role. And I can very easily talk about the church. And I think we're a lot more comfortable talking about the church. But the church doesn't change lives. Jesus changed lives. Now, don't get me wrong, I love the church, and Jesus loves the church. The church is his bride. Of course I want us to tell people about the church, but first and foremost, I want us and I want myself to tell people about Jesus. I didn't become a pastor because of the church. I became a pastor because of Jesus. Jesus changes the lives. Jesus changed my life and Jesus changed yours. So I just want to flip that and say, let's learn so much and let's become so focused on Christ first and church second. Does that make sense? Rather than getting caught up in all of the different things that can go on with running a church, let's just get back to what it means to follow Jesus. And church comes naturally out of that. Church is then a a community, a gathering of people who love Jesus and want to spur one another on to love Jesus more and actually seek to be a community of Jesus followers. The first followers didn't call themselves Christians. They were actually given that title because they were so fixated on Christ. They were Christ followers. Could that be said of us? That we are Christ followers. Finally, I want us to grow in Jesus. I don't want us to just cruise and just continue year after year to have the same level of knowledge and the same level of understanding, but in fact to grow. Look at this beautiful verse written by the Apostle Peter. These are the very last words of the Apostle Peter after the amazing life and transformation that he lived. These are the final words of his second epistle that he leaves for the church. He says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. These are very significant words of everything that Peter could have said. He says, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to people who have already put their faith in Jesus Christ. And he's encouraging them and exhorting them to grow. Where you are right now is not where I want you to be. There is still more for you to learn and there is still more room for you to grow in Christ. What does it mean to grow in grace. And what does it mean to grow in knowledge, I wonder? To grow in grace is to actually grow in Christian maturity. A person who is becoming more graceful is a person who is growing 
in grace. You see, the more you know Jesus, the more you understand all that he has done for you, and in fact, it is nothing that you or I have done to earn our salvation, but it is everything Jesus has done, and that is the undeserved grace of God. The more humble we become, the more we realize it's God and his goodness. And the more appreciative of grace we become, the more graceful we become to others. We, in fact, become God's agents or instruments of grace. That should be one of the discerning factors when people walk into a church community or when people encounter a Christ follower. It ought to be the grace of God that they come into contact with because it is for grace and by grace that you and I have been saved, not because of anything that we have done. So a Christian who is growing, a Christian who is maturing, is a Christian who is growing in grace. I think about Mary Gray, who can't be with us at the moment because she's in hospital. But there is a woman who continues to grow in grace. She will most likely lose the sight in one eye. She may never go back home to live independently. Her greatest concern is, how am I going to continue to do the readings for KYB? Here is a woman who continues at 97 to grow in grace. What a wonderful example for us to follow. And this church is filled with beautiful saints like Mary Grave, which I'm so grateful for. But the Apostle Peter also exhorts us to grow in our knowledge to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What that means is to continue to learn the ways of Jesus. Because as you become more familiar with the life and the teachings and the message and the ways of Jesus, then you're more likely to begin to submit to them. And so this is what we're doing this year. I'm trusting that as we grow in our knowledge, we will also grow in our grace I wanted to have a theme, as I've spoken about before, that would kind of tie this all together. Something that we could refer to frequently and keep coming back to. Something that summed up what 2019 for ECBC was going to be about. And obviously it was to do with Jesus. And as I mentioned earlier, originally I was thinking a year with Jesus. But it didn't quite have the dynamism or the intensity that I was looking for. Some of the ideas that I brainstormed were also 100% Jesus or Jesus unplugged, or Jesus in focus, but none of these quite worked. And then I was was brainstorming and scribbling down ideas. This came to me fixed on Jesus. It's intense. It's intentional. Um, There's something very powerful and focused about it. And immediately I was taken to Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, of course. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And I thought, that's a wonderful passage of Scripture. I can identify with it so much. And I love the call that um, the writer to the Hebrews gives to his followers. So our theme for 2019 is fixed on Jesus. That's what we're going to be doing this year. We're fixing our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's going to be a great year. I'm very excited about it. I hope you are too. (laughs) Let's just take a moment to consider this wonderful passage in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I just want to take a moment to examine this passage. Firstly, the letter of Hebrews. We don't know who the author of, uh, of Hebrews is. Some would suggest it's the Apostle Paul, but there is not any hard evidence for that. So at the moment, or forever, until we get to heaven, we don't know, and it doesn't really matter. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who... Um, originally practiced the ways of Judaism. And the purpose of the writer is exhorting and encouraging these readers to stay the course, to stay with Christ. It has a very high Christology of Christ that, in fact, it argues that Jesus is the Messiah and not to turn back to the old ways of Judaism, that Jesus is the perfect high priest, that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, that Jesus is the perfect mediator between man and God. And you need to stay the course. You need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Do not return to old ways. Now, the passage that we've just read in chapter 12, or the beginning thereof, comes, begins with a word, therefore. We're always taught at Bible college, when you find a therefore, you've got to ask, what's it there for? And what precedes it? Well, obviously, chapter 12 comes on the back end of chapter 11. This incredible chapter, um, all about uh, wonderful men and women of God. These, uh, this kind of hall of fame, if you will. This cloud of witnesses. Yesterday here in the church for Scotty's 50th, we had um, a rugby league player who is in the Hall of Fame, Brett Kenny. And, and these are people who have achieved incredible things. So in Brett Kenny's career, he scored 168 tries and he was instrumental in uh, the Parramatta Eels winning several of the um, grand finals in the early 80s. He's an amazing player who represented New South Wales for several years and also the Australian team. Um, but the, what the writer of the Hebrews is doing is he's drawing on characters like Moses and Abraham and Sarah and Rahab and David and so forth, and he's highlighting their run, if you like, their walk of faith that God called them to, and highlighting how they persevered. They kept their eyes fixed on Jesus. They kept their eyes fixed on the Messiah. None of them actually got to meet or see the fulfillment of Jesus. And what the writer of the Hebrews does is he highlights all these wonderful men and women who stayed the course and they didn't even get to see the fulfillment of what they were striving for. And you and I, we do. We do get to see the fulfillment. We know personally and experience the blessing and the beauty of Jesus. And so the writer of the Hebrews is reminding us that there is in fact a cloud of witnesses watching us. And I thought about that. You know, if you practiced really hard, let's say, to do a speech, and you came to give that speech in a room full of nobody, you wouldn't give that speech with the same level of dynamism and passion that you might when the room is filled with other people. If you think about all the times in your lives, and they may have been during your school years, where you were competing in something, or you were involved in some sort of event where there were other people watching. 
Having people watch you really makes a difference. You think about grand finals or you think about music concerts. They're filled with atmosphere and there's people there. And the people who are watching play an incredible role in how the sports people and the musicians perform. If you're performing to nobody, it will absolutely impact on the way that you run your race. And so in a sense, the writer to the Hebrews is reminding us that there is this incredible cloud of witnesses who have gone before us and they are, in a sense, watching us and cheering us on. And we are on the same team as them. We are flying the same flag. We wear the same jersey as Moses, as Abraham, as David. And we're to kind of, in a sense, you know, say, well, we're still playing for that team even to today and they're in heaven watching us. So the, what the writer to the Hebrews wants to do is encourage and exhort us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And the first thing he says is you've got to get rid of all hindrances. Like if you're going to succeed as a runner, and it's just the imagery, okay? So don't worry. You don't have to be a runner to follow Jesus. <laughs> But the imagery here is very rich and the author was obviously drawing on something that he knew his audience could easily access that would make sense to them. And you don't have to be a runner to understand what it means to run. If you're to be a successful runner, you've got to throw off any excess baggage. You don't want to be wearing lots of bulky clothes. If there is excess body weight that can be lost, it will help you run faster. It will help you run smoother and longer. We've got to throw off all hindrances and the sin that so easily entangles. If you're running towards a goal, you have a goal, you have an end point in mind. There might be obstacles, there might be things that are getting in the way. The author to the Hebrews says to throw off those hindrances. Now these hindrances might be good or they might be bad, but whatever they are, they're actually preventing us from achieving that end goal. And so for each of us, we're to consider what are the hindrances in our lives to being fixated on the person and the life of Jesus. There might be all kinds of things that we do that are actually just neutral, but they're not helping us in our walk with Jesus. Are there habits? Are there behaviors? Are there addictions? Are there things that are actually either preventing us from growing or just keeping us in a place of, um, that's not a healthy place? So we're to consider what are those things that we can get rid of? What can we lose in order to create more space to, to focus on Jesus? And when the writer to the Hebrews talks about the sin that so easily entangles, we don't know exactly if there's a particular sin that he had in mind. Probably not. It's simply to say that sin inhibits us from following Jesus, doesn't it? And so whatever those sin habits may be, and we can only do this through reliance on him and the power of his Holy Spirit, but we, and we remember that we're being watched, we're being championed on, and that we can, with the help of God, throw those things off and to run our race. Do you know what the original runners would run in when they competed at the Olympics Games? Their birthday suit. They literally threw everything off. It's not the greatest image to have in mind, is it? But they quite literally just threw everything off because they realised that if they were going to run their race well... They didn't want to have anything that would inhibit or prevent them from doing so. We're to run our race with perseverance. I love how the writer says the path or the track 
that's marked out for us. You know, there's a sense here that we're to persevere, yes, because the Christian faith and the Christian walk is certainly not a sprint. Now, when you think about a sprint, it's fast, it's exciting, but it's over in a flash. The Christian life is more like a marathon. It's long, it's slow. It would actually be really boring to watch. But the, the Christian life is about, a mar- it's about endurance. It's about persevering through trials. It's about pushing through barriers. And that's what the Christian life is like. We've got to keep going. We've got to persevere. There are going to be tough times. There are going to be setbacks. But we, we're, we're moving towards a goal. And it's as if there's a path that is marked out for each one of us. Your race. You and I can only run the race that is set before us. You're not called to run anybody else's race. And the context of your race is the life that you live, the relationships that you have, the work that God's given you, the environment that you're in. Being a faithful follower of Jesus in that context, my brothers and sisters, is your race. And all you are asked to do, all I am asked to do is run the race that has been set before me and the race that has been set before you. It's very easy for us to get sidetracked looking at other people's races, either envying their race, man, I wish I could run your race, it looks so wonderful, or you're miles in front of me, I'd certainly never run like that, or looking at others in a very difficult place. Of course we want to consider others and love them, but when it comes to running our own race, we can only run our own race. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on the race that is set before us, and we do that by keeping our eyes fixed on the end goal. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're looking at the path, we're looking at the race that is before us, but ultimately we're looking to the person in whom our race originates and to whom our race finds its fulfilment. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Just keep looking to him. You know, the race that God set for Jesus, the author says, and as we would know, is the cross. Whatever race you or I have to do in our lives, it is nothing compared to the race that Jesus ran. And the author says that Jesus fixed his eyes on that goal. That in spite of everything, all the obstacles that Jesus had to overcome, he remained focused, he remained committed, he saw his race through to the very end. And then the author says, consider him. Consider him. It's look to Jesus as your example. So when you're finding your race hard, when you feel like it's just all too much and I want to throw it in, or you feel so weighed down, by all of those hindrances, by that sin that so easily entangles and you just can't get victory and you can't overcome and you don't feel like you're moving forward. Remember Jesus. Remember his race, that he was faithful. Look to him. Keep your eyes on him. As a parent, just calls a child. As a child is learning to ride a bike and a father or a mother will be there just just saying, come. Or a child is taking their first steps And they're learning and they're getting closer and closer. And you're there. And Jesus will be with us every step of the way. Jesus is not off in the distance. This is the beautiful message of Christmas, that God comes to us. We spoke about that at Christmas, that God is with us in the storms of life. But whatever your step is on your race, Jesus is right there before you. He's just saying, come. Just come to me. 
Just come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Drop your nets and follow me. Jesus says, come to me. Just take one step closer to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. His eyes are fixed on you. (laughs) Just one step at a time. And he's there. He's there to catch you. He's there to encourage you. He's there to remind you that he is your Lord and your Savior, that he loves you, that he has a wonderful plan for your life, that he has a wonderful plan for our lives as God's people. Brothers and sisters, men and women of faith, this year may we grow in our grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, as he was getting really close to the end of his life, said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. There is a crown of righteousness that is prepared for each one of us who run our race, who keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. May we get to the end of our race and be able to join the apostle in saying these words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Lord, we just take a moment now in the quietness of each of our hearts to say thank you for the example that you set. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And thank you that you're only one step ahead, that you're with us every step of the way, calling us to yourself, drawing us to yourself, filling us with encouragement and example to follow. Lord, I pray for each person that is here this morning that we would not be sidetracked, that we would not feel discouraged at where others are at or challenged by where others are at. But we would just look to you and we would run with perseverance the race that you set before us. Help us to run our race as husbands and wives, as uh, boys and girls, as men and women, as employees and employers, as students, as sports people, as workers, whatever it is that we do, help us to do it with our eyes fixed on you, looking to you as our example. We commit this year to you and pray that it would be a year of growing in grace and in knowledge, that we would learn to know you more, that we would learn to share more of you and that we would indeed grow as followers of Jesus. We commit ourselves to you and look forward in great anticipation for what you will do for your name's sake. And it is for your name's sake we pray. In your name, amen.